0: Welcome back, friends, to Music Therapy and Beyond, a podcast focused on education, wellness, and advocacy for the music therapy profession. I'm Kristen, a board-certified music therapist, and I get to be your host again today for a topic that I'm deeply interested and invested in learning more about And I have to be honest that the more I learn about it, the more I realize I don't what I don't know about it and the more I want to learn about it. So I'm excited to be here to share with you what I've kind of been digging into lately. But uh, we're going to talk about how we can use music through the lens of trauma-informed care. We dug into what it means to be on a path towards trauma-informed care in episode number one and I looked at different clinical strategies in episode number six based on the neurosequential model of therapeutics and other trauma-informed continuing education that I've walked through the last year and a half. So today we're going to go back and look at music. As a music therapist i'm obviously deeply interested in how we can use music specifically in trauma informed care and i was interested in learning more about this medium or our tool that we have at our fingertips so now i want to just preface this by saying that there are amazing music therapists working day in and day out in trauma care with individuals groups and families living with trauma Please refer to our show notes for many more podcast episodes, blogs, and other resources to learn more about how other music therapists are working with this population and framework. The more I've learned, the more I realize that I have so much more to learn to be truly trauma-sensitive and trauma-informed, and honestly, that it's not really something that you attain. It's something that you're always constantly working towards. It's a path that we're traveling So today we're going to look at how music plays into trauma-informed care as we look off the clinical strategies that we spoke about in episode six. But before we dig into all that and into our, our episode, let's take a short break to gather our thoughts to come together and I'll see you on the other side of this music break. welcome back I hope you enjoyed and feel refreshed and grounded from that music as much as I do I also want to mention if you can hear the birds in my background I've got my windows open and it just it it, it sounds like spring to me today it is spring it sounds like spring and so if you hear those beautiful that beautiful bird music in the background that's that's what it is Um, but before we jump in, I just want to mention if you haven't listened to episode one and six, please go back and do that because it'll provide a framework for the conversation we're going to have today. I think there's benefit in just the conversation we're going to have today, but I think, um, there's a, we, you know, we've, we've walked through this series for a reason. And so, um, want to encourage you to do that. That's episode one and six. But to set the stage for our conversation today, I want to briefly mention that due to the prevalence of traumatic events, we can and should assume that everyone we encounter has experienced some level of trauma. Now, a lot of this is coming from that, the gold standard ACE study. And I know that there is some speculation, especially the more I dig into trauma-informed care, that maybe that it's not an all-encompassing, there's confounding variables, it's not maybe the best representation of the entire population. But I think it is the best that we have right now, at least in that longitudinal study. So um, so that's why we use that ACE study, and that's the one that I've been taught most about in my continuing ed. So because of that, we basically assume that everybody has had some level of trauma or at least a good majority of the population. And I think that personally and professionally that that's an important thing to do. I would much rather err on the side of assuming that people do have trauma or have had traumatic events and are being affected by that rather than assuming that they don't. And so I think this is why it's so important for us to be knowledgeable about this subject as music therapists, as teachers, as parents, because everybody we encounter may have a traumatic event. This was my aha moment because I've worked with families and in schools for the past 10 years, and I always knew that I wasn't just addressing the child's IEP goals with music therapy. I intuitively knew that in some instances that my upstream goal was something much bigger than just learning the alphabet, just learning their name, just learning, you know, whatever that IEP goal was. Um, you know, I I think that that's the the aha moment that comes with comes to me from this is that even though we are not working in in quotes trauma population like I don't typically think when I go into a school that that was going to be part of the knowledge I was going to need but it is and it was or it was and it is and it's something we focus a lot on now in our our clinical supervision and our learning because it it is so prevalent the more and the more you get into trauma-informed care you just realize how prevalent it is and how much it affects. So as often, uh, we often don't have the opportunity to know our family history for our clients in the school system. So uh, for us, it's very important for for us to understand that, you know, we need to look at this individual from all angles. Um, and trauma is one of those. So in, in a specific instance, you know, we could advocate for our students, and when maybe other staff members are not seeing that, for example, a child's unregulated behaviors may be in response to a trauma trigger, rather than simply a behavior issue, and that those are interconnected, and we need to at least be having that conversation of looking at, oh, is it? Could it be trauma? And if it is, how do I use music to support that? Or how, if I assume that it is, how can I use music to help support that might help support those behavior goals. So in this episode, I sought out to gather specific music strategies, like specific interventions, specific inter- songs um, for trauma-informed care, like in quotes. But you know what I found? I found everything. I found every kind and type of intervention to basically summarize the techniques being used in trauma-informed care would be a review of what interventions a music therapist can do. I mean, in doing so, we also would need to look at the frameworks and philosophies of music therapists, which are, and and just how you use music, you know, if it's humanistic or psychodynamic or cognitive behavioral or neurologic, I mean, and, and that's just a few, there are so many different frameworks that, um, are coming to the table for music therapists and it depends greatly on the background of education that we've had. But they all look different, and their approach to trauma-informed care is is very different. So what I did find was that individuals with trauma respond in many different ways to response in response to music, and some individuals, for instance, may respond really well to songwriting, whereas others really need music and movement regulation. So I sought out and looked at the research, and I came across a really wonderful. Um, article published last February in 2020 um, in Frontier Psychology by a host of researchers. So please look at the show notes for that direct link because it's a good read, and I encourage you to read it for yourself. This article title was "Music Rhythm and Trauma: A Critical Interpretive Synthesis of Research Literature," and it basically walks through and you know combined and gathered all of the research from specific um, tags or. Keywords um, for rhythm, music, and trauma, and a, a number of other ones from it uh, was more recent, so 2009 to 2018. And basically, they extrapolated um, the approach, music interventions used, instrumentation, and outcomes to see if there was a significant theme across all. So it, it takes I will take time in another episode to like dig into the history of trauma-informed care because as I'm learning about it, there's just so many different approaches and you know theories behind trauma-informed care and how everything is evolved. Um, uh, one of which is the neurosequential model by Dr. Bruce Perry. And so that's the one I probably know the best. But I've kind of been learning about all the others and so I'll do another episode on that because it's really incredibly interesting. But today what I'm going to be interested in is the music. And so what does current research and specifically this article say about music, rhythm, and trauma? And I'm actually going to jump right to the conclusion of this article because I think it's an important place to start that and it it concludes by saying that an individual in quotes response to adverse experiences is idiosyncratic not universal some people survive without need for expert support some people develop inspiring resilience and thrive in the same society that allowed abuse to occur end quotes they continue to conclude that not every individual is in need of the same support so a range or a spectrum of approaches is necessary to truly meet the needs of our clients. It is once again proven that it is impossible to put music therapy into a box. Their final recommendation from the analysis was to, in quotes, attend to the individual in context and determine what music-based approach would meet their needs and desires at a given moment in time, end quotes. So the type of music used with ner- Trauma informed care is not static, nor is it consistent across settings. The best music based intervention is the one that is the most needed and most effective for that client. Okay, I know, I get it. That is not helpful. <laughs> but it is, but it's not. I get it. So, but it is good to know. So, I feel very strongly um, this is a personal and a professional combined um, feeling that. That really, it's very important for us to be well versed in a variety of approaches, um, simply in an effort to better meet our clients and the needs of our clients. Because in this research, it's saying that it is different. It's it's very um, it's a spectrum. We need to have a range and a spectrum of approaches so that we can meet the needs of our clients the best. So. Uh, The rest of this episode, I am going to give some ideas to consider that I really pulled from that research. So this article did extrapolate a number of music methods that were utilized in the literature with songwriting being the most common. So that was songwriting being the most common method, followed by music listening and improvisation. So the top three were songwriting, music listening, and improvisation. Other methods mentioned in research were drumming, instrument playing, music performance, singing, music and imagery, lyric analysis or lyric discussion, music and movement, and musical games. There was another category that was just kind of miscellaneous. But one thing they did find was that a good portion of the research mentioned that they used multiple methods, which aligns with what their conclusion was, that... Um, using a variety of interventions, a variety of approaches, a variety of methods, in their um, terminology um, was reported in the literature. I also found it very interesting um, that the purpose or goal of the music method was also very different based on the uh, theoretical framework to which the research was based. So, for example, those utilizing um, Dr. Perry's uh, neurosequential model view We're focused on stabilization, so using repetitive, rhythmic activities to regulate the body, which from the discussions that we've had, you know that that's a a huge basis for the neurosequential model is that bottom-up therapeutic approach. And so this theoretical approach informs the music interventions we utilize. so those of us that work in the neurosequential model do a lot with regulation. We work a lot with families. We work a lot with um, our clients on regulation and how do we use um, our full sensory system to, to help regulate. So remember if um, those of you that haven't listened to it, the three R's for the neurosequential model are regulate, then relate, then reason. And so it walks basically... Through the levels of the of from brainstem all the way up to the cortex, and so brainstem being very primitive brain um, and the midbrain being very primitive areas where we're they're in that survival. Which when we're in fear and trauma um, cycles, that's where we're at. That's where our our clients are living. And so um, when they're when they're in that situation, they are unable to get to their cognitive. Um, higher-order functions, um, simply because they're, they're not functioning. They can't access that part of their brain when they're in survival mode. So we see that that theoretical framework of the neurosequential model, from um, bottom-up approach, really focuses heavily on stabilization as a goal. And then from that, regulation um, is that bottom-up approach. So that informs the methods and the interventions that we're going to use. So, to, to expand on this, that neurosequential model also has um, the six R's, is what they call it. So, it's relational, relevant, repetitive, rewarding, rhythmic, and respectful. So, these provide principles to which we then develop our interventions around. So, music that is one, relational or safe, two, music that is irrelevant or developmentally, or age appropriately matched, three that is repetitive, or patterned, four music that is rewarding, five music that is rhythmic, and six music that is respectful, so that would be all interventions, but you know, we're looking at the music, so music needs to kind of meet all these criteria, Um, and respectful being, the very last one was, you know, is it culturally and, um, appropriate, is it, um, is it appropriate and uh, respectful for the family and the child. So music fits obviously beautifully into this framework, um, of an appropriate medium to use for the goal of stabilization and regulation. So the second musical purpose theme found, um, in this was surrounded by entrainment. So, interventions such as drumming, structured improvisation, and shared singing focused on in the group, community, um, and community with an emphasis on co-regulation. So, the neurosequential model does have a lot of um, research on co-regulation as well. But this second method is that entrainment. So, you can see that the music interventions are going to look much different based on that goal of entrainment. The third purpose found was exploratory, and interventions may include music, um, psychotherapy, improvisation, guided imagery, and songwriting. Um, And in this cognitive approach, the focus was on integration and long-term recovery with emotional regulation included. So we've now talked about the three three of the different themes that they found. One, stabilization. Two, entrainment. Three exploratory, and the last theme um, that was in this literature was performative. So interventions including songwriting and performance. The focus here was on self-regulation and recovery, with the emphasis on the group or community and building resilience. So you can see from all of these four different musical goals that different musical interventions are used based on the goal in mind now this is classic music therapy um, but i thought it was really interesting that that's those are the four areas that they really highlighted as methods um, or or focuses um in the literature so this is how we as music therapists obviously operate all the time we use evidence-based practices so taking into account current research clinician expertise and the experience and the client characteristics combined they all provide that evidence-based research now i do want to mention and they mentioned it as well in the article that it does appear that research is lagging behind current practice so um this is constantly growing and changing um, but especially randomized controlled uh, studies are really lacking um, with specifically music and trauma so the types of music-based interventions used we just spoke about depend greatly on the needs of the clients and the stage of trauma recovery they're in, or in the process of of their trauma experience they're in. So it's going to be very different for somebody who's in consistent persistent trauma currently, rather than if it was um, a trauma event that happened early in childhood um there and, and also depends on the type of trauma that they received and the duration of it and there's so much that goes into um they're really the the progression of therapy um but for example a client in actively and persistent trauma within his or her home environment it's likely to we can assume that regulation is the number one goal so based on the neurosequential model that bottom up theory if our clients are in persistent trauma. They're frequently in that lower brain, sub-membrane area where they're unable to get up to that cognitive cortex, um, cognitive thinking. And so regulation is going to be a major goal. So um, opportunities for that, that number one method we saw in the research, that stabilization, including somatosensory engagement and integration. Things like this, very body-based music interventions, including hearing, sight, touch, proprioceptive and vestibular input. Um, look thing, interventions looking like crossing midline, deep breathing with a coordinated movement, um, drumming, spinning, uh, like changing uh, levels, so up and down. So things that we're really um, focused on getting into the body, music and movement fine motor tasks that are going to be with um, music instrument playing, opportunities for impulse control in making music where they are asked to play and stop to strengthen their inhibition, Um, interventions that are requesting clients to play loud and soft, fast and slow, as well as opportunities for body percussion, deep pressure, and attention tasks such as focused, sustained, and alternating, depending on the developmental level of the client. So for example, an attention task um, of playing an instrument for the duration of a song or a specific period of time would be very focused uh, or sustained attention. You might ask a client as well to play, for instance, the drum during the chorus and the claves during the verse. So having them switch and alternate um, in, in that manner. So that would be all ideas and music interventions for stabilization as the um, as the goal. For entrainment strategies, you may look like it may look like walking around the room, stepping to a beat with the therapist. Again, still very body based, um, but they might be doing it with the therapist or with other group members, depending on the setting. This may also look like a therapist encouraging client to entrain to their beat on the drum and then doing the same with the peers, so that all being alternating. So really focusing on that entrainment with both the music and with others in their environment. If the purpose, however, is that third um, area, which was that exploratory where the client is calm and alert and can access that cognitive functions, they may benefit from songwriting or lyric analysis, creating art with their music, um, exploring deeper mindfulness moments, song learning and expression of emotions. And lastly, if the client is in need of that self-regulation, building resilience and confidence and self-awareness aspect of it, Um, which would be that performative is the method they mentioned in the literature. Um, This client might be learning an instrument and creating a song that they then share with others or record or create things that they share share with others, family members or friends or the rest of the group. So the array of music-based interventions is completely dependent on the needs of the client in that moment in time. I know I'm fascinated by this, and again, the more that I get into trauma-informed care, the more I just realize what I don't know and um, what I'm excited to learn. So, for instance, I actually was listening to a podcast um, from the Creative Therapy Umbrella. So, if you actually don't know... Of this podcast, it's called Creative Therapy Umbrella. We'll have links in our show notes. Um, but Kate is just fantastic; is so authentic and so wonderful at what she does. And you have to go over and check their blog and her podcast and all of her resources out. There's so we are so um, just really blessed as a profession to have so many wonderful music therapy podcasts, and there are so many and. Um, And there's a new music therapy podcast collective where you can earn CMTEs for listening to podcasts and just really wonderful things going on in that realm. This is a whole side note, but in that episode that I was listening to, I think it is um, number 76 and it's with Molly Warren, who is a music therapist working, um, in trauma and she just had so many wonderful things, um, to take away from that episode, so I highly encourage you to go listen to that because there's just a lot of rich information in it. But the one thing that um, really pulled out for me and that that I wanted to just mention here, because I felt like it was an, a, a good place to mention it, was on explicit music. We had an episode a couple um, a couple episodes ago on explicit music. and just kind of looking at the research about uh, the harm that it could be and it could cause and just things to consider. Um, and so Molly and Kate had a really wonderful conversation about explicit music and how in trauma situations, it's actually sort of important to not lean away from that, but to lean into it. And as it being a part of, of really expressing that relational aspect of the music And the music therapy and building rapport with your client and so I encourage you to go listen to that because it was really very interesting and just another um, example of how you know music can be used in a a multitude of different ways and we really um, it's just best to to keep learning about what we're doing and um, really consider where we're at what setting we're using where we're at and what's um, work, works best for our clients so go check that out um, the other thing I want to mention is uh, this is probably my obligatory caution to all music therapists, to all musicians to all teachers, to all parents is just the power of music we have been talking about how powerful it is but one of the big advocacy uh, efforts that we've been doing in the states and in the national level are really communicating uh more research about the harm that can be done with music and specifically those that um, maybe music is used and it really can trigger some trauma feelings and those may be uh, either therapists or other individuals using that music might not be in a place to to be processing it with their clients and so this is just a word of caution that This is a very important thing to consider when we are using um, music and not just with in quotes our clients who are from traumatic backgrounds or are in the midst of trauma, but really everybody, especially if we can assume that everybody has had some level of trauma. So um, just know that music has a lot of power. It has a lot of links in our brain to our amygdala, our fear cycle, our memory, and our emotions, and all of our hormones. And so um, it can be a really wonderfully powerful tool, but can also um, be a trigger. So just have a uh, caution with that and be considerate about uh, how you're using the music. And my last caution is just to use your best judgment. Know that none of the... Uh, interventions or things we spoke about today we know work best for your client. You have to use your clinical um, expertise and your clinical judgment um, to do what's best for your client. And so um, I just want to encourage you and empower you to do a lot more education. Continue always learning and being at the cutting edge of of the evidence that there is and using that evidence-based practice model. Um, of current research, client characteristics, and preferences, and experiences, and clinical, uh, the clinician's experiences and knowledge as well. So as we wrap up this episode, I want to mention that we have some really great episodes coming up, Uh, some about trauma, some about the polyvagal theory, which is kind of an extension of the trauma um, and lots of others, and so I just really don't want you to miss them. I'm very excited about them, and we are sharing um, our journey towards trauma-informed care with this sort of series, and And it's my hope and our hope that you take these steps, that you're taking steps towards becoming trauma-informed as well, and that we're inspiring you as we're sharing um, just the things that we're learning on our journey. So next week is our first, our first fifth pot bonus week. So first, um, month of the year that we get to have a fifth podcast. And so it's going to be something special. It's going to be something unique. And so, um, we look forward to, um, seeing you next week to, um, hope you listen in. So please head over and subscribe on Apple podcast and Spotify. So you don't miss that episode. Thank you for joining me today, and I hope this episode provided you more information on the trauma informed journey that we are on, or I'm on specifically. Find all the show notes, links, and resources at www.musictherapyandbeyond.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Music Therapy and Beyond, and email us at, you guessed it, Music and Beyond at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you, and please rate and review wherever you listen. It helps so much. Thank you for all the work you do and all the places you do it. We'll see you next week.